And I think that's something that, that we all as leaders need to keep our eyes upon is actually what are the numbers in my own department or in my own agency or wider than that. So it is improving, but partly I think because of the, the attitude of the modern female leader is the recognition that it needs numbers, it needs more of us. And therefore we bring in girls at the bottom to start to make sure that the funnel doesn't run dry again. Hello and welcome to Grow Up, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkerers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and today on the show, we're catching up with Becky McGowan-Banks, Eat Your Greens contributing author and, at the time of recording, ECD at Vayner Media London on how to th- make things better odd up in advertising. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at Sister Merci for sponsoring today's episode. As one of Canada's leading strategy departments and supporters of strategic planning, they've shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Now let's get into the show. So thank you so much for joining us today, Becky. We're super excited to have you here. Um, We'd love for you to talk a bit about the uh, contribution that you wrote uh, to the book. Um, Share with us any tips that you have to do just that, how to make things better on up. Um, and maybe we start by if you could just tell us a bit about yourself and kind of what inspired this article um, and how did you work to start to reverse some of these gender inequities in our industry? Golly. Well, I'm not sure. I can... <laughs> that was... All of that. All of that, and we'll we'll just get that done, and then we'll turn ourselves to the other world problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, um, so I've been uh, I'm an ECD. I've been in Adland for over 20 years now. Um, and it's just been a problem that, that, that as a female, when I was um, coming up through the ranks, um, I was quite frequently the only female in, in, in the creative department. I suppose that's sort of um, where, where the, the chapter came from. The chapter actually came from a TED talk, a TEDx talk that I um, completed in London. Um, and and it was taking that same theme there. Um, so as I said, I've been I've been in Adland for over 20 years um, in various agencies, large, small, um, global, local, um, in you know, in Sydney and also in the UK. Um, and the, the, the issues encountered seem to be very, very similar. So that's sort of what drove me to sort of think about the Adland experience from a female perspective and to actually bring that to the fore because um, it felt so important uh, for me to do so. Um, And so uh, it's also off the back of me um, founding or co-founding an initiative called Creative Equals, which is here in the UK. It's been going for, golly, many, many years now. Um, I was only sort of engaged in the first two and a half years, really, to found it with somebody called Ali Hanan. And that was really placing the focus on agencies to redress the gender balance specifically in creative departments. So this isn't across the whole of the ad agency. This is really, really focused in our own experiences uh, as we were both creative directors in Adland. Um, and too often, as I said, had been the only female in the room. Or and, and when those things happen, you end up not having your own voice. You end up almost speaking for your entire gender, um, uh, rather than necessarily it just being the opinion of Becky. Um, and so we we definitely wanted to create an initiative that would 
um, change that, would put the focus back on those that can make the change. Because there were lots of initiatives, particularly over here in the UK, that were focused on the girls themselves, but none that really turned that mirror around and said, agencies, it's all very well if the girls are, you know, we can give them courses, we can help them become more confident, we can help them find their voices and make them ace presenters and all of those things that, that have been thrown back against young girls. Um, but actually, if the system in agency is still the same, then there's no point doing it. And that's what the chapter in the book goes through is actually the attrition that you see from the, and this is specifically London numbers. And I think it was going from something like 51% graduate of, of females graduate against males. And then when they enter the industry, it goes down to 23%. And then um, as you move up through the ranks, uh, it ended up as something like 13% um, were female creative directors. So, and, and there must be a reason for that, 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 that women were exiting um, the industry. So, and what's, what started off with creative equals, as you can, you know, as the name implies, is we're just asking for an equal equal place in the, in this world. It's not a battle for more. Um, and and I'm so proud of what Ali Hanan has gone on to to do with Creative Equals. It now represents all sort of differences as well, from neurodiversity um, all the way through to representing all all sort of um, uh, all all genders, as it were, as well. So it's actually um, crossing many many of the of the issues that need tackling um, in advertising. Fascinating. Um, you know, you'd mentioned that you've been in the industry for about 20 years. Have you seen some progress over that time or what, what kind of has been your perspective? Uh, there's certainly progress. There's certainly more uh, girls coming in at the bottom. Um, you can't invent women at the top. Um, but obviously in the last, a lot of them that was sort of, a lot of the people who were my same age as me have now come up in the ranks and, uh, you know, there are more female CCOs, there are more female ECDs because that's just been the position that's come up through you know, than there were previously. That's not to say that there's parity and there's certainly not. Um, and I think that's something that, that we all as leaders need to keep our eyes upon is actually, um, what are the numbers in, in my own, um, in my own department or in my own agency or, or, or wider than that. Um, so it is improving. Um, but partly I think because of the, the attitude of the modern female leader is the recognition that it needs numbers. It needs more of us. And therefore we bring in girls at the bottom to, to start to make sure that the funnel doesn't, doesn't run dry again. Yeah. And I'd imagine, I mean, at least some of this must be as a result of, do you find, I mean, women leaving to start a family and then not coming back or do, do you have a perspective on that? There is. Yeah, there is. Absolutely. Um, obviously, that's something that we, we have to tackle. Um, and that need, But that needs change at governmental level because that needs a change at parental leave level um, because that is still weighted towards the female um, being the, the main uh, carrier of that. Um, but it, and so with Creative Equals, they now have something called a returnship scheme, which is all about getting women back in um, and giving them, you know, a re-gear spin if they have been out for a couple of years or, or you know, however many years that they took out to rear, rear children and bring their family up. Um, then, then they can. There is a, there is a mode to come back in, and that's been working super well. So obviously there is that. Um, it's it's. Interestingly, uh, having led a department over the last um, three years, the pandemic has kind of also helped with evening out parental sort of care because it was a lot easier with the, well, it wasn't easy at all. So <laughs> correct. 
correct myself on that, but with the working from home scenario, when both parents were working from home or if, you know, where both parents were, were in the room, as it were, um, then, then a lot of the fathers I know who, who became, um, uh, you know, became fathers in that time are more aware of the work that goes on and, and wanting to be involved in that. So I think that's also potentially a benefit to have come out of the pandemic. Um, obviously I, I might not just have been that aware of it because, um, not many, not many under my leadership had children whilst I was whilst I was around prior to that. Um, so I think there are a few things there, but yeah, definitely having a family um, obviously comes into it as, as as women, as I said, take the take the main lead in that around the around the world really um, in terms of parental care. And it's interesting you say um, governmental change because I mean obviously that is part of it, but I mean agency change as well. No, like in, employers. Um, you know, giving more time off or, or being more open to that. Or, I mean, even, even paternity leave, I think has only become more of a conversation in the last couple of years. Um, I'm not sure how it is in the UK. It is. Yeah. It's the same. It, I think it's the same over here. Um, but the reason I say governmental change is because all of that basically feeds up to, um, up to what the, you know, what, what the government of the, country is deciding is appropriate and unless they take the lead with the 50-50 split or a more fair way of, of um, splitting that lead, then, um, you know, it's even still sort of the emphasis has to come from there. So it's only with a governmental legal change that you could actually make everybody have holistic change incredibly quickly rather than the at agency level. It's taken as a benefit that, that people are, are sharing parental leave and it shouldn't be. It should just be this is how the world is. And to, to enable that, that's why I say it has to be a governmental change as opposed to a, a singular agency or even a you know, a, a pushing a for majority agency through something like the IPA and things like that. They they um, look at how agencies are governing themselves. But I think to make mass change, not just in our in- industry, but in everyone's industry, I think is to make that that sort of huge leap forward to show yeah. that the standards have moved forward. Yeah. I mean, I am, um, obviously the pandemic has been hard for a number of reasons, but there's been some positive things as well. And in regards to this, I mean, whether you're a parent, like a mother or father or not a parent, um, the opportunity for a more balanced lifestyle in terms of remote work and more flexible hours. And do you see the pandemic as having some positive impact towards this conversation or this issue? I do, I do. Um, I think there's always a, a flip side because I think on some of the young, younger members of my team, they found it very difficult. They found it very difficult to switch off. So it's actually had a negative effect in the fact that now they feel that their bedroom is their office, so they can't actually relax in their own home. Um, and a lot of anxiety came through there. However, absolutely, it was brilliant to be able to open. You know, I've sort of been petitioning to include um, more women in in, in um, in projects and and in in recruiting, and that suddenly became the norm. That actually it didn't discount people who couldn't get into the office um, or who needed to leave to go and collect children. And and the reason I say those who 
couldn't get into the office because it's not just mums who needed to be around for drop off or pick up or whatever in the day. It's also sort of across the disability as well. Those that physically weren't able to um, get into an office, um, they they're sort of, you know, there's been a lot more um, inclusivity in, in regards to that as well, which I think is a massive leap forward to understand that not everyone needs to be in the office and not everyone needs to be in the office all of the time um, is a massive leap forward for inclusivity on, on so many levels. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we've touched on some of these a little bit already. Um, you know, do, do you have some tips kind of for our audience, uh, you know, agency leaders listening, department heads, uh, maybe even people coming into the industry um, that can help to have a, a voice and an opinion? Um, what, what tips might you provide uh, to help things better add up? Yeah. So um, some of these I've sort of taken taken the lead from the piece in in Eat Your Greens. So um, and the first two there I actually divided by gender um, because it was a gender issue that I was writing about, and therefore the um, some of the some of the tips need to be gender appropriate. So the first one was really to women um, in the industry and girls or those anyone coming in, uh, any women coming in is basically be here. Actually be. Visible visible. Um, and I put it as having voices. And that means speaking up in meetings, offering to lead those presentations, putting your hand up to the PR department to write editorial pieces and posts or having an opinion or commenting even in, you know, sort of industry trade press, um, really taking those opportunities and, and, and that, that are offered to you so that you, um, are seen that you are an act, you're, you, you're seen in, in many ways that you're seen to be there in the agency and that you're seen to be having that active role, not as, as proof, but there as sort of almost a flag to others who want to come through. Um, and also to show that, you know, we women do have opinions and, and, um, can do all of the, the bigger pieces. Because I think a lot um, in the early days, a lot of the things that were thrown against uh, women was that that we couldn't hold those bigger rooms, we couldn't have those sensible discussions, um, or that we weren't confident enough, confident enough to take them. So this is for me, sort of saying, women, you know, be here and be visible. Take every opportunity you can to to do that. To the men, uh, my second tip would be be present. And that means don't assume that your way is the way. Um, be really aware of your decisions and also your possible biases. And I know that, you know, a year, two, three years ago, unconscious bias and unconscious bias training was a bit of a buzzword. Um, but we all have unconscious bias, all of us, because it's how we've been brought up. Um, and it's the world that we inhabit. We sort of feel that that is the, the only way the world looks. Um, but I think being um, a male leader um, in an industry, your view of how the world looks is, is, is sort of needs, it needs self, self measures and checks. Um, something that's also in the piece that I spoke about is actually that, that women in creative uh, in Ad Adland were quite often asked for proof, whereas because um, the men see saw men being interviewed and heard stories that were similar to their own, they thought more of, oh, he reminds me of, 
him of me when I was that age. And therefore, they get the envisaged and imagined future together, which I sort of summed up as a lead with openness and a path of potential for everybody, um, not a path of proof for some, because, you know, you don't want one, you know, don't want girls being asked for proof, give me evidence of your creativity, whereas others are actually being asked just to share something they'd like to do, which is a path of potential. So let's lead with openness and a path of potential for all, for everyone that you see in front of you. And then for us, all of us, um, it really is finding small ways that we can make big differences. Um, again, I, I put a couple in, in the, in the um, article in the book, but in, and the one in there was being aware of the first faces that meet new teams. Um, and, and a trick that we, we've discovered here was putting gender balanced teams as a first point of interview. Um, it really, really does make a difference. And again, it comes back to that, that, that we as women are used to not hearing stories that sound like our own, which means that we are interested in those that don't sound like our own, um, which, um, as I went, mentioned in the article, um, the, the, one of the um, ECDs that trialed this, um, this is a few years back, um, immediately noticed a difference in the, on every level of those that were coming through. And that's on every level of um, sort of ethnicity and gender and sort of against um, sort of uh, uh, demographic measures as well, as in sort of, well, I'd put it in class worlds in, in, you you know, UK language. Um, but you know, that it makes a massive difference. And and also something that we've been doing at Vayner um, and I've been very key on is mixing up the seniority of those interviewing. Um, you know, that that's really helpful as well to get that sort of uh, lead element of it, but also the 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 juniors having a a responsible role in that recruitment is so, so important. Um, you know, something else that we've been doing is considering task-based recruiting as first stage before you see CVs or folios. Now I've been doing this, um, since I joined at Vayner. So, and it's, and it's so amazing that the differences and, and how it broadens out. So basically I, we put out a task to be, um, to be, to be fulfilled. And, and I don't get to see any CVs or folios until I've seen the results of those, of those tasks. So I make the decision on the task and then I see where people, you know, their folios or whatever. And this really does level the playing field, not, not just in terms of gender, but also across all other measurements, as I say. So that's wow. just a small way. Yeah. To make, to make quite a big difference. Um, and then getting quite specific, I suppose, is um, being aware. Number four would be being aware of stereotyping in briefs and call them out, you know, call them out in your own work as well as that in, in that of others. I think, you know, let's push for more information. Let's push for more depth, you know, less lazy briefing, simply, you know, you know, getting specific, having that detail, having that color means that the work and the world that the work inhabits really becomes better for it. And it means we're, 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 you know, less at risk of, of causing that, that unthought of offense or, um, you know, or any of those sort of things or leaving people felt, felt left out. So I think really, really a lot of this and, and is running your own checks and balances is running your own, being your own sort of worst critic on this, being aware of what you're doing. Um, and that way, if we are, if each of us are more aware of what we're each doing, then that means everybody becomes more aware. It's not just you pointing the finger at other people. So 
And then the, the fifth one um, there really would be key. I've put it here is just keep running the numbers. Um, and it's basically holding yourself to account. Um, I've kept a dashboard of my team and my department um, in order to, to really, really see how diverse we are across a number of levels. And I monitor this quarterly so that I know where the gaps are. I can spot if people are growing. Am I moving the right people um, or are they leaving? And are they, are they similar type of people who are leaving? Because, you know, ultimately awareness is key to make any change. So, you know, we all, as I said, need to check our default choices for bias so that we can spot that potential in all of our people, not just a, a chosen few. And therefore we can enable everybody to grow. And that really does mean, um, you know, keeping an audit, keeping your own audit of, of how things are going so you can see that we're moving forward um, across all of the different levels that we want to be. And, and ultimately, so let me run through, run through those five again. So it was to the women, it was about being here, being visible. To the men, it was about being present um, and leading with openness and a path of potential. For everyone, it's those finding those small ways to make a big difference. Um, and then fourth was being aware of stereotyping in briefs, calling those out, you know, calling yourself out, calling other people out. And then the fifth was that keep running those numbers, holding ourselves to account because, you know, those, those it all really does add up to better creative. And, and I think, you know, to enable those that feel unheard and unseen, feel welcome and recognized, and then hopefully to enter stay and improve our work is really, really is better for business. Um, as the article said, you know, re reporting in the research that we did with Creative Equals, 70% of the population in the UK felt that advertising didn't speak to them. Now that's a huge, huge amount of pounds and pence in people's pockets that are basically just not going anywhere. So all of these other ways that we can make people feel that they're welcome in our industry in order, as, in order for us to make better work will ultimately make better work for our clients, which means better business. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of where my aim always is, is, you know, creative isn't creative unto itself. It has to be in service of, of a client and of doing better business that way. I, I love how you summarize this. I've been keeping notes of some really, really great tips there. Um, going back to the first one in terms of being here and, and being visible, I, I think that's really interesting because, um, I remember specifically, I mean, I think everyone kind of goes through this when you're just coming into the industry or you're in a in new job, a new environment, um, and, and you're, you're, you know, you're maybe lacking some confidence or whatever. You know, I used to kind of coach people to just, you know, even if you repeat what other people have said, but say it in a slightly different way, I think it's, it's sometimes just in hearing your voice, getting used to hearing your own voice. Um, yeah. can, can be a great way. Cause I think pe people kind of just need a bit of a nudge to, to, you know, get out of their shell a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that that seems like a hu hugely valuable. Value Absolutely. Too. And it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a confidence point, but I think also take confidence from the fact that even if you are just entering the industry, um, if you've got something, if you're hearing something that doesn't sound right to the world that you live in, or if you're seeing, seeing an opportunity for something that would be brilliant, how you can add to that. It doesn't mean that just because you're, you've either got a junior job title or literally you're sort of fresh, freshly step, stepped through the door, that that's not valid. You know, that all makes the work better. Um, you know, it, it's about speaking up and, and having that 
opinion sharing, um, that insight or, and also asking questions. You know, I live on curiosity. I live on learning. And, and I think being, uh, you know, brave enough or, or, or silly enough to start, to kind of turn around and go, Hey, I don't know about that. Tell me about that in order to fill those gaps as well, I think is really, really important. And no one will ever be chided for asking, for asking, um, uh, you know, questions, um, intelligent questions, um, and adding, adding to, to the work that goes forward. Um, so yeah, I'd always think that, and even if you don't want to do it in that room, then when, when you're coming out of that room, find that person who is leading that meeting or that person who made that comment and go and add to it there. You know, you don't have to put your hand up and stand up in front of, you know, a 20 person meeting necessarily. Um, and, and I also think, you know, this is also where, where potentially, uh, remote meetings have helped because it's, uh, I know it's helped the confidence of quite a lot of my more junior members of my team because everybody's at the same level sort of thing on zoom. So you can actually speak up or you can pop a question into the comments, um, and get it, get it heard. There are other ways of, of find, of putting your voice out there, but I think it's all about being curious and, and, and finding that way to add to the work or find out more about the work. Certainly. Mm-hmm. I also really love I've, I've never kind of heard this this phrase I guess I mean this is something you've coined this notion of path of potential for all um, you know that there's that you know saying that a lot of people will say about you know you can't be what you can't see um, and, and I just love how you've kind of articulated that having this path of openness of potential for all yeah it's really really important as I said it came from uh, the work that, that we did um, early on uh, that, that sort of showed that that girls were more free. And, and it comes back to another sort of theme that I speak about, which is um, the idea of of, uh, of women coming in, having stories that don't sound like the person that they are being interviewed by, um, or, or the, the person that's, be, that's interviewing is not familiar with many of the perspectives because they're not female more often than not, or historically more often than not. And therefore, because they're unfamiliar, because they, you know, they, they're completely unfamiliar in some, some situations, um, that, that then this ask for proof comes through, which actually, if you're hearing stories that ask, that don't ask for, you know, that sound familiar, that you can kind of relate to your own history, then it means that you're all, you've already gone through that proof because mentally you've gone, oh yeah, that rings a bell that when I did that, or when I, we went out and did so-and-so, or when I had to do X or Y. And therefore that's when this path of potential comes through. And I think it's, it's, it's being really aware of that. Um, it's, it's a really powerful limiting factor actually. And it, and it was proven in the research that we did, um, early on that, that it was women that were asked for the proof of the, of, of their creativity, um, much more frequently than, than actually the, the men being interviewed. So it, it really is something that we can all do is basically understand, uh, come with understanding for everybody and ask them, you know, similar level of questions. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned in terms of keeping, um, running the numbers, um, as vain, are you finding other agencies making more kind of commitments against uh, specific numbers, especially I think where it, it seems to be the most lacking is in the senior levels. Um, we haven't put numbers to it. Um, is, is the honest answer. We've, there's lots of, um, initiatives over here. Um, one of them is run with the IPA, um, which I think is the, is it the triple A's over your, your, um, in America? I don't know what it is in Canada. Um, but they, so that's sort of a diversity where you, you, you hand in your numbers, you almost do get audited, but that's across the entire agency. So that's every year you have to submit those. Um, but there isn't, 
there isn't a general number on it. It's basically aiming for as much parity as possible. It's not sort of we will hire X and Y because that's not necessarily how the recruitment comes up. However, it's having an eye on whichever way the the uh, you know the, the pendulum is swinging. Um, in in a different AG, agency, um, in wow, well, golly, quite a few years ago now, um, I started out sort of leaning the other the other way. So it, it's it's where you're not seeing you know it's in order to keep the to do the best work, you need the balance across um, creativity, um, and therefore it's see, seeing where those gaps are. But you can only see where those gaps are if you keep an active eye on where you are at the moment. And I think people think they have an active eye on what their department looks like and who is where and what. But that's why I was sort of saying, you know, pull it into an audit that you sort of look at every quarter and you can you can see where the talent's rising or whom you've promoted or whom's departed or whom's come on board. And and actually, I consulted it every time we, we put um, we put uh, recruitment briefs out as well is just to go, OK, where are the gaps? Have we got a gap? Is someone because it reveals a weakness within your own within your own system that then you need to find ways to support and address before you pull more people in. Um, so it's, it's more that active view of, of running the numbers rather than necessarily sort of taking a look over your shoulder and going, nope, I think we look all right, and then carrying on. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this could open up a whole other can of worms and be at least another hour conversation, but, I mean, the, the whole uh, notion of gender, obviously, has yeah. massively uh, opened up um, over the last few years. And so, you know, Obviously, these conversations around, I mean, obviously, it's not just male, female, um, mm. and having to kind of, I, I mean, for, 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 for all good reasons, um, you know, yeah. modernizing those you know, conversations and perspectives as well to keep. And I think that can only be a, a good thing, I think, because I think coming from the, uh, you know, from the uh, male, male born, um, male perspective, that's where the majority was. And therefore for me, it's, it's allowing more voices to come through that basically says, you know, when I was, when I was coming up, that was, that was the, the accepted view that that is what the world is. And actually the more voices that we can have with us, then the better, because the work becomes better. The department becomes more creative. Um, and a lot of the issues that, that, I've been countering with the tips such as this and with the story that's that's in it, your greens, um, wouldn't happen if the if the department had been more uh, varied and diverse in the first place. Um, so you know, as I said, it's not just through gender; it's it's also through every lens of sort of um, ethnic diversity, religious diversity, sort of economic diversity, even geographic diversity. You know, even in in the tiny place such as such as England, there's a there's a tendency to hire from the south and the southeast um, rather than necessarily look to more talent that you could bring in from 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 elsewhere so um, and even then within within the London area there's more tendency to to hit this is historically to have hired from a, a set of a suite of a few ad schools as opposed to those that have, might have come up through sort of um, state school systems um, and therefore have you know there's a there's a whole stream on Twitter about um, creative Adlanders with Cockney voices because you just don't hear native London voices in Adland um, so there's so many levels but I think that the more you know that that's why you know that 
if, if, if anyone listening is going to recommend one, one piece to their own agency or implement one own act, one action immediately, it really is that in first faces that people meet at the interview, make sure they are gender balanced. Um, because as I said, having a female in the room, um, and that's, that's sort of female from, from any, from any description actually means that there are people who are welcoming stories and voices that don't need to sound like their own. And that really has been fundamental in, in making massive shifts, um, not only for, for the, the people that we spoke to when we were doing the research, but also, um, you know, moving forward, how I've sort of implemented change in my own um, agencies as well. Hey, that was quite a striking statistic that you provided earlier. Was it 70% um, believe that advertising is speaking to them? That's, that's huge. I know it's mass, massive Adland dollars that are just basically, yeah. And, and, you know, you can hear it in the rhetoric that goes around and, and particularly from, from the entrepreneur who leads my agency is, you know, sort of, um, and TikTok as well is don't make ads, uh, make TikToks. And I think that the, the key piece to take out of that is that people now believe that advertising is boring because it's underestimating and not speaking to them. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm, I'm 764 now. So I remember the heydays of the, of the Guinness adverts and the, um, you know, the, um, Hamlin cigar adverts in the UK, real classics of, of advertising that didn't, you knew they were adverts, but they were clever and they were funny. And so therefore you, you were the person to complete that circle and therefore you loved them. And I think that's what we've got to, that's missing in, in advertising a lot at the moment is how do we genuinely speak to the people that we need to be speaking with? Um, but also understand that we're not their best mate. We are, we are a product, but how do we find that way of engaging in a really natural place where people will, will, you know, go to the coffee shop, go to the yoga class, go to the, you know, go walking the dog and go, Oh my goodness. Did you see that ad the, the other night that, that spoke about X or Y? You just don't really get that at the moment. And I'm not blaming advertising. I'm blaming us in the industry of not being, not managing since, since advertising has gone across so many channels, we haven't found that magic as to how, how do we retain what we had in TV? How do we make that work for the new channels that we need to work across? Great. Well, I appreciate so much your time. I think we've covered some really um, interesting and important, uh, you know, tips um, that I think that we can all immediately kind of start applying. I mean, even just the the bias one is so obvious um, and and so simple. Um, you know, I, I recall working on different um, industries where you would kind of we would force ourselves. I actually was a gambling brief specifically before we walked into the casino to you know gather some insights or observe some people. We had to write down all our biases. Um, of what we thought about these people and kind of what they were doing. And I mean, even to write down your biases before you go and interview someone, I love what you talked about in terms of having um, a task-based, you know, mm. opportunity so that you don't just, you know, look at a name and make some assumptions or, you know, look at how someone's dressed or like whatever it may be. Um, so I feel like those are just even such powerful small things that we can all be doing. Uh, Mm. And I think that's it. I think many people 
feel, you know, as I said, no matter what level in the industry, um, uh, you know, from small to large, and even some some leaders don't necessarily have the power because it's, you know, it's it's now a networked agency, so you can't necessarily change many things. But there are so many small things that we can implement that would make such a difference. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you again so much, Becky, for your time. Um, it's great to chat with you. Not at all. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's episode of Girl. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, share the episode, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Next week, we'll be chatting with Elliot Altilla, Head of Strategy at Mint, on how to uncover your strategic superpower.